Welcome to The Culture Factor, where we talk to founders and influential leaders about company culture. We share stories from the C-suite that help executives engage their business from the inside and create a map to transform their culture. Because the truth is, culture eats strategy for breakfast. I want to thank our listeners for joining The Culture Factor and ask that you subscribe, rate, and consider leaving a review. We'd love to hear who you'd like to listen to next. And a thank you to our sponsor, Company Tribes. They have an app and a virtual experience to help keep your tribe together during difficult times like now and business as usual. How strong is your company culture? Reach out to Paul at companytribes.com. Matt Wadiak is the founder and CEO of Cook's Venture. Prior to Cook's Venture, he founded and served as COO of Blue Apron. Matt developed and managed Blue Apron's supply chain. He led a team of over 5,000 manufacturing employees at six national centers and built a network of over 250 farmers, ranchers, and agronomists. Matt's goal is nothing short of building a food system for the future. He's changing industrial agriculture and creating a regenerative system to reverse climate change. He serves on the board of Goodwill International, one of the largest NGOs in the world that works to educate and develop better employment around the country through a diversity of workforce development and social programs. And today, Matt is at the forefront and on the culture factor. I am Holly Shannon, your host and co-producer, and it is my pleasure to introduce Matt. Well, hello. Welcome, Matt Wadiak, to the culture factor. Thanks so much, Holly, for having me. I have a lot of questions for you, and I really want to focus on company culture, but I'm sure we'd probably be remiss in not um, at least acknowledging our present and current climate. Um, so that may come up in this uh, podcast, and I hope it does because um, it's, it's ever-present on everybody's mind, right, um, where they get food. It, it is really all-encompassing, and it's interesting that, you know, I feel like we've had uh, – food system issues for a long time, but it's the forefront of everybody's minds now that we're hearing about how some of these organizations are run and the consolidation of organizations and how that affects their employees. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so let's do this. Let's, uh, let's start with a, a few basics and I'm sure we'll weave that into there. So I, when we've spoken before, we, it's clear to me, you're very laser focused on your mission um, and it's a, a noble one at that. And can you share how you built your company around it and, and what exactly is your mission? Thank you. Um, absolutely. Our, our company is really based in the foundational principle that we are a group of, of chefs, farmers, and food professionals who couldn't find what we wanted in the food system. So we're building it ourselves from the ground up, animal by animal, plant by plant, and meal by meal. And really what the history of that is, is I'm, I'm a chef, I'm a cook, and have been cooking since the 1990s professionally. Went on um, after a series of entrepreneurial endeavors, working in the restaurant industry, and then starting my own company, and founded Blue Apron, the meal kit company, and was there for six years as founder and chief operating officer. And one of the things that I learned through um, that experience feeding millions and millions of people is that the kind of food that we would be proud of cooking as chefs and as people at home, you know, with our families and in our communities, um, the kind of ingredients that we would like to service to, you know, to, to the public just aren't available in scale. And when we are looking for better quality vegetables, 
better use of land with farmers who are growing those foods, better quality meats that are not grown, you know, in, in CAFO concentrated feedlot operation environments. Really, the, the public through the traditional systems only has access to those kinds of foods. So, you know, the foundational principle behind Cook's Venture, my new company, is simply that we don't have what we feel like we need as consumers, as people who eat, as people who are building modern anthropology around the table. And it's our mission and our job to go out and create it. If it's not there, let's just create the kind of food that we would like to eat. Let's create an opportunity that's economically sustainable to participate in that system from the consumer standpoint, from the processor standpoint, from the, the farmer and grower standpoint, and from use of land, building better quality soil over time. And there's a, a few different components to that. There's obviously the, the, the social um, benefit to that. There's the food benefit to that. There's the animal welfare benefit to that. But, you know, in addition to all of those very, very important things it, that we're seeing are, are very fractured in our country, there is a carbon benefit to what we're doing in that agricultural use of land is one of the biggest contributors to global warming. We know that as a fact. And Bill McKibben, who is one of the, the leading authorities in climate science globally, put out a statement some years back that said, if we can utilize all agricultural lands globally to sequester 1% more carbon in soil through biological matter, then we can essentially stop and begin to reverse climate change through greenhouse gas emissions. And the way that we do that is through understanding the use of, of land in America. And of all of the crops that we produce as a nation, all of the fruits, nuts, vegetables, perennial crops, stone fruits, lettuces, things like that, um, that we produce only constitutes 3% of American ag. The other 97% goes to arable lands for things like wheat, corn, soy, et cetera. The biggest crop that we grow as a country of those, of those uh, kinds of foods in that 97% category that we use is corn. And then the largest use of corn that we can change to build regenerative systems is, is for poultry in America. So we need to build poultry systems that can sequester carbon through rotating crops more efficiently and creating better feed for animals and getting off of just this monocropping, dual cropping corn and soy based system and start starting to build more um, environmental sustainability and regenerative agriculture into the equation in conjunction with um, better welfare chicken. And, and through that mechanism, we can not only grow better quality food, create more economic opportunity for farmers and consumers, but we can also um, help to build better soil and create a better environment that actually is, is helping to reduce global warming and helping to um, you know, create a, a paradigm for the future of future generations that is a scalable, sustainable system. And that's, that's really, really important to us and really important to our mission and is our, is our primary focus, building these circular economies that can translate into other parts of the world and be replicated um, in a way that uh, we can really get behind and, and support. So you touch on a lot of different areas there. Um, you have your hands in a lot of different parts of the economy. And so you have a huge supply chain that you're working with, and you have partners across every aspect, starting from seed to e-commerce. Do I, do I have that correctly? That's exactly You're, right. So within that, how do you promote company culture? 
where, where do you, how do you develop that entrepreneurial spirit that you have? How do you share that across that whole chain? Because obviously there's a lot of people along that supply chain that have really struggled with the current model and feel, you know, almost downtrodden or pushed down and aren't really able to do what they love like what yeah. you're doing. So how do you, how do you build that spirit up? Um, and how is that important to your company as well? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I'll start by saying, if you don't do that, if you, if you aren't vertical within your businesses, there's always opportunity there. So for other folks out there who are trying to build a culture and be entrepreneurial, be, becoming a vertical company helps to sustain your mission and promote your mission because um, the more you do within a vertical supply chain, the more empowerment you can create to teams and the more people understand their clear objectives in, in what we're trying to accomplish as a group of individuals. In our case, we're trying to create regenerative agriculture, improve the quality of land while also promoting animal welfare and, and better social systems. So, and it comes back to that very simple mission statement. We're a group of farmers, cooks, and food professionals who couldn't find what we wanted. So we're building it ourselves. And through that idea, every single person who works on the, the farming side of the business, on the animal welfare side of the business, on the processing side of the business, understands and knows that we're trying to promote environmental systems that are better for people, that are better for American farmers, that are better for American workers. And when you're a part of that ideal, when you're a part of that system and you can communicate that and see how somebody who's cooking at home or who's buying our chicken from a grocery store gets the benefit of your hard work, then you feel empowered to continue that mission forward. When we know that the majority of farmers in America now make negative income, which is scary. When we think about less than 1% of the population growing 99% of our food that are making in some cases, you know, 50% of farmers negative income, then if we can change that and build more food security for those folks who are feeding us, that's empowering to people. And it's really our goal to make sure that, that whatever we do has that effect, which is empowering, that we're making the right decisions for the right reasons and going out. And even if people don't completely understand all of the work we do through supply chain, knowing that they're making a better choice and that makes people feel good about their work. So would you say that, empowerment and entrepreneurship are the secret sauce to your company culture? I think that's a big part of it. And um, through that, I think one of the most important things is that that empowerment creates um, opportunity to be entrepreneurial. Whereas if you're buying, for example, commodity crops to go into a more conventional system, there's not a lot of wiggle room within those guardrails to be innovative. And innovation is a form of happiness. Innovation creates, um, you know, creates that sense of why we wake up in the morning, what we're going to do today, what we're getting excited about as a team, what can we bring to the table to contribute to that overall, overall ideal. And even though we're touching a lot of different things within our supply chain, our, our mission is fundamentally pretty simple. You know, we're, we're growing food for people and trying to do a better job of it across the board. Matt, um, if innovation is sort of at the core of, of company culture then for you, um, can you share a story about um, an employee or 
um, a partner within your supply chain or maybe one of each? Yeah, absolutely. I, in fact, I could maybe even double them up. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's okay. Go for yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. We have, we have so many great stories of folks being innovative within our company. And, and I'd say foremost um, is, is our head geneticist, uh, Richard Udale, who leads our breeding program and has been involved. Uh, when I acquired the company, um, we were already friends for about five years. And he's really the founder, him along with my business partner, Blake Evans, of, of the breed that we grow. Um, and specifically what we do, which is really different than most companies, is Every company in America buys their poultry breed from one of the two big companies out there, Cobb or Aviagen. Globally, they're dominant and it constitutes about 99% of American chicken. We're the only independent breeder operator of poultry in America. So we use only heritage line birds. And through this um, very extensive 10-year process, we've selected these heritage chickens for flavor, for health, for livability, for outdoor access, for creating um, more biodiversity on, uh, on land through being able to digest more complex ingredients. And Richard is, has, has uh, taken these birds and run what we call feed trials in, a, in, a, in an operation where you feed birds different diets and you measure them for health and see how they can digest different kinds of grains. And in a traditional system, those would be based only in corn and soy and um, what we call high octane feed or multi-stage feed where the birds go on a pre-starter mix of one kind of corn and soy ration, a starter mix of another kind, a grower mix where the birds are growing out, and then a finisher mix where the birds are getting large for harvest. And in, in our case, we just use one single stage feed that we can trial with things like um, red winter wheat that we can use as a cover crop, um, sorghum, sunflower, lupin, lentils, a number of other different ingredients. And through that, Richard has been able to select these birds to have better digestive health. And then if you have a bird that has better digestive health, which he's represented and demonstrated through this 10-year, you know, really uh, detailed process, we're able to then take that, that bird that we know can eat all of this diversity and partner with farmers and our feed mill and say, okay, we have a bird now that can eat you know, 23% sunflower, 13% sorghum, 20% red winter wheat, and this incredibly diverse diet and say, okay, instead of just growing corn and soy and, and degrading your land through this monocropping, we can grow all this diversity of ingredients. So why don't you plant um, this year red winter wheat as a cover crop, which we can then harvest, keep the roots in the soil, build carbon, then we'll go into a sunflower, then we'll go into a, a, a lupin, then we'll go into you know, some other non-GMO crops. And that empowers farmers to make more money because they're, they're getting the, the benefit of these organic systems, non-GMO crops, where they can make a, a sustainable living economically. And it's also building their soil and improving their harvests and their yields over time. So through that innovation that Richard has created with better poultry, we're able to also create innovation for farmers and create a use case where the farmer then has an outlet to sell to a mill that can mill our feed. And then that mill can sell the those more sustainable grains to us so we're create basically we're creating through the simple mechanism of breeding better chickens an opportunity for a, a, a huge supply chain coming before us and then the opportunity after us which will be future partnerships is now we're taking a bird that has the ability to digest complex ingredients and we can go down to south america to asia to africa to nutrient poor countries to developing 
countries from a caloric standpoint. And instead of having to import grains from different parts of the world, from Brazil, from deforested areas, from, um, from the U.S., from conventional crops, we can take local ingredients in their supply chain like yuca, cassava, um, quinoa, things like that, and we can put those into animal feed and build local economies that are, that are able to sustain and nourish people in those communities. So the, the long-term outlook is we're hoping that these birds can solve more robust global problems associated with nutrition and create pockets of, of caloric stability within, within nations. Matt Wadiak and Cook's Venture is, um, you, it's really incredible. It's, it's going to be world domination for you because you're really covering so many areas in terms of farmers and commerce and food inequities and climate. There's so many different things happening here. You have an opportunity actually to take a bigger, bigger market share by doing this, which sounds like it, it there's, you should, you know, 1% is not enough, especially if this is your goal, your end, your, your end game. Um, how has this buoyed your company culture uh, with, within Cook's Venture, for example? Well, I think, you know, before um, we had the opportunity to create some of these initiatives, it's a little more challenging operating, you know, against large players in the space, but putting this part of the mission, um, since we, we've acquired the company and, and done a lot of work on the regenerative program, has created a sense of purpose, I think, for, um, for our, our, our breeding team, for our genetics team, for our processing team. You know, a lot of folks will go to work in a processing plant and, you know, it's, it's real work. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough job in creating, you know, better incentives for those employees and better um, opportunities to grow vertically and, and training programs is a, a really big part of what we do. But let's be honest, like at the end of the day, people want to, to work for, for a reason and they want to work for a mission that's, that's bigger than, you know, job opportunity. And I think that when you have that sense of, of purpose and you're able to communicate that and how you're really helping people's lives and, and changing them in a positive way, it gives you a real reason to, you know, get through um, days where you might, you know, when you're waking up super early in the morning, you might not want to go in. It, it gives you that little extra oomph to, to do things that you might um, not want to do otherwise. I know for me, sometimes if I have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and go in and do something with the birds or go to the plant, you know, it's, it's an early hour. And to be able to know that we're able to do that because um, we have something bigger than us. And, you know, the team, I believe, follows in that, in that ideal, I, I think, is, is that little extra. Um, we've had a lot to accomplish in a very short amount of time and, um, you know, building a, a large operation like this is an incredible amount of work. And I, I think everybody contributing from their emotional standpoint is even more important than contributing, you know, from a physical standpoint or, you know, a, a, a mental standpoint, we have to feel good about what we do as people. Otherwise, why are we doing it? Very true. Um, are have your employees been reaching out to you about um, working for a company that gives them a sense of purpose? Absolutely. We talk about it all the time, um, not only as executives, but, you know, throughout the entire team, throughout the culture. And, you know, I have a philosophy of being very hands-on with the team. I don't know if you, you saw the letter to employees that um, Elon Musk sent out a couple of years ago where he said, 
we don't have an organizational system where you have to go to your manager and then you have to go to the senior manager and the VP or whomever to get to me. I think everybody in a company should be able to talk to anybody and we should be able to receive that feedback at any level. So um, if somebody who is working on the line or is working on one of the farms or who's working, you know, um, you know, in our operation in the hatchery wants to talk to me, like we should, we should have that openness and that freedom. And same thing with, you know, other employees in different parts of, of the company and different orgs. That's, I think that's where part of the innovation comes from because in, in a vertical economy, everything affects something else upstream and downstream. So that ability for employees to work f- freely and, and talk to one another at any level is, is essential. And also it builds a level of respect and trust. Um, I think throughout different levels in the organization that is empowering both to management and, and to employees of the company that um, they know that they can trust one another and, and, and have that respect that is okay. I'm going to come to you if there's something that I think is important, but I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to use that for personal gain. It's beyond the, it's beyond the, I think the scope of somebody's self-interest and always of, of the benefit of the company when you have that kind of conversational freedom within an organization. That's great. You've been able to nurture that. I mean, connection at all different levels is, is typically hard to attain. You know, we all live in our little, in most businesses, traditional businesses, everybody has their silos, you know, they have their department, if you will, and they're not really privy to talking to uh, other departments or other heads of departments. So that's great that you've eliminated that within your company. I wouldn't say I've eliminated it. I mean, this is something that, you know, every company has to work on constantly and people also, you know, self silo. So, you know, True. you build up, you, you, companies build up walls certainly. And, and, and I think bad managers certainly put up a lot of walls, but you know, if, if you're able to continuously encourage as, as a leader, um, companies, or organizations within an organization to talk to one another and, and folks at different levels to, to talk to one another through continuously reminding employees, hey, you don't have to get this approved. Just go and talk to them yourself. It's okay. You can do that. I mean, I'd probably say that five times a week. <laughs> so I think continually reminding folks that they can do something, especially when they've come from a more traditional organization, um, is is usually a shock to people when they come into a company like Cook's Venture. So a lot of companies like like us who cultivate that kind of leadership. And I think it is really empowering for folks, but, you know, I think one of the roles of, of, of good management, as opposed to, you know, stifling people is to get them to speak up and, and to communicate their ideas and their feelings. Well, I guess you are still nurturing then that empowerment and entrepreneurship within your people, which is really amazing. Um, you know, I, I want to bring up, obviously, there's a huge uptick in e-commerce as far as grocery deliveries and and how stores are working and farms are working during COVID. And I, I really didn't want to land on COVID to end out our, our conversation, but it's unfortunate. It's a huge part of it. How has your team um, and how has your culture reacted uh, to the, the present moment? And have you had to increase your workforce uh, suddenly and has that changed it yeah um we've changed our entire company in the last few months um from being 50 percent food service 50 percent retail so selling to restaurants and such and selling to retailers to close to 100 percent retail almost overnight and that was an immense amount of effort and teamwork um from our folks 
obviously when you're packaging everything versus using, you know, bulk sort of food service containers, it's a lot more work involved with that. So bringing on new employees while also thinking about how to social distance and create the right protocols, um, not only for us, but you know, the guidance from the USDA and the CDC was not great for meat facilities as we've all read. So we actually got ahead of it. We had some, some friends in other countries who were working in the industry and they had given us a, a warning and said, hey, listen, you know, masks work. This is back in February. Um, you should put some protocols in place. So we were very aggressive on that in the very, very early days of COVID. We've got not only masks and, and PPE for our employees, but also the USDA who's working at our plant every day and everybody associated with that. And, you know, there were little things like providing childcare for our employees that a lot of folks weren't able to do in, in other companies that, that we went ahead and, and did for our employees to make sure that people had childcare, to make sure that people had the right equipment, to make sure that if anybody was sick or was exposed to being sick before um, there was a guarantee to cover that payroll. We just said, hey, listen, we're going to take take care of this and pay you, and we'll take a loss on that um, because it's the right thing to do. So it, it affected us in that respect, but because of that, we've had zero cases of of um, COVID in our plant. And I think, to my knowledge, knock on wood, you know, nobody's impervious to this. Um, I think because of that, we we have have been able to protect the 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 way that our employees perceive this and, and also perceive the seriousness of this, because we, we meet with them once a week in small groups and, and talk about it, say, this is not over yet, you know, until we really know that this is done, we have to be careful and we're going to take care of you if you take care of us. So um, that's been critical. And, and, and I don't know of any other plants that haven't had any, any cases. I'm sure there are a few out there, but all of the major poultry plants have had a lot of them. And, um, providing that protection and that security for our people is number one. And I think that builds a lot of trust with, with the team and, and, and it's, it's expensive to do that, but it's also been an opportunity to grow and commercialize our business and retail channels. So yeah, it's been, it's, it's, it's a, it's a different, it's a different world <laughs> we're living in right now. It's a very different world, but it looks like you're getting behind it as much as possible. Um, being proactive like that really, uh, I'm sure, garnered a ton of trust amongst your team that you had already been employing some of those measures before it became what everybody else was doing. Because I think everybody else probably jumped on board mid-March. So that it that came is a little bit late from the industry, and I really have to give a credit to my um, our plant manager and management and VP of operations who have really instituted all of that work and done a fantastic job engaging with the team, also a director of quality. I mean, it was a, it was a team effort from, from everybody to, to get aligned and also to the employees who spoke up and said, you know, this is how we're feeling, this is what we need and listening to them and getting it to them, you know, right away and not, you know, not hesitating. Mm -hmm. So there were a lot of good suggestions that came from, from the employees on what we could do to do a better job to make sure that we were protecting them. Testament to a good company culture and uh, good communication as well. That's great. Thank you, Matt. This is really yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. It was really uh, a pleasure having you on The Culture Factor. I have to say I'm a huge fan of everything you're doing because I'm a huge foodie and I honor all of the farms in my area and have done 
you know, uh, contributed to buying a share in their agriculture each season and getting organic and local. So I'm a big advocate of that. Maybe I was an early adopter myself. So um, I really sit from a, a place of appreciation of, for what you do. And of course, having been um, in an industry, in the food industry myself, working with high-end hotels, I understand that whole process. So, um, so much respect from the culture factor here and from Holly Sheen. <laughs> Um, and I want to thank you for coming and uh, to our listeners, cooksventure.com, where you can purchase uh, these heritage chickens, correct? That's right. Excellent. And we will have the links in our show notes so that you can follow Matt and uh, access their website and keep track of his world domination. <laughs> world empowerment. World empowerment. I like that better. Thank yeah. you so much, Matt. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Holly. I really appreciate it. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye.